Hello and welcome back to the Healthy Entrepreneur Club podcast. My name is Freddie Pullen and today I thought we'd do a very different setup of the podcast. So obviously we've done this rebrand to turn the Into the Desert podcast into the Healthy Entrepreneur Club podcast. And what I thought I'd do is after we've spoken about the, the niche and the rebrand last episode, I wanted to really talk about our journey. I want you to understand a bit more about myself and my co-founder and partner, Antonia, just so you have a bit of an understanding of where we're coming from, where our expertise are, and actually how what we talk about now affected us in the past and why we're so passionate about uh, solving it for other entrepreneurs in the future. So I'm sat on the sofa, I've got a cup of coffee, uh, and I thought we'd go through it and, and sort of talk you through our, well, at least my background, and I'll try and integrate a bit of Antonia's background in there as well. I'm sure she'll come on to a, a future episode. So it all started, obviously I'm from the UK, so we're from a, a small town about 100 miles west of London, uh, very, very countryside-esque, a lot of greenery very near to the, the old city of Bath or Stonehenge. Um, and my parents both worked government jobs, so I was not too familiar with the term entrepreneurship. A lot of people in my family, uh, you know, uncles, aunts, great uncles, relatives, they had businesses. Um, but for me, it, wasn't, it was just still a job. I was never aware of what they were actually doing. My parents worked um, these jobs. So it was nine to five. They were doing shift work when I was younger. Um, so I was never really aware of an opportunity other than, you know, get a job and um, sort of work your way up the ladder. So small town, countryside of England, uh, not so aware of entrepreneurship and just sort of going through the normal, the normal path. Um, but in my early teenage years, age, I think I aged 13, I really wanted a, a new mountain bike. I'd seen this mountain bike in a shop in the town that I lived in, the only bike shop, and I really wanted it. So I asked my dad, how, how can I save up for it? You know, it was not the kind of thing you'd get for a present. I had to save up and I had to do jobs. But I knew that my dad wasn't going to give me enough money if I was going to you know, mow his lawn or wash his car. So I had to go and ask other people. And this was my first venture into entrepreneurship. And I called it Great Gardens. What a fantastic business name. So I printed these flyers on the, you know, on the, off the computer where you had to do the dial-up and it made, it made the funny noise and you had to make sure your mum didn't go on the phone because it would ruin the internet connection. I printed these flyers, gave it to everyone on our, on our road and I managed to get a few jobs out of it. So I was mowing grass, I was um, washing cars, a bit of babysitting. Um, it was great gardens, but obviously people were very aware that I needed the money and I was happy to, happy to do you know, whatever odd jobs they had. Um, I remember the first job was I washed a car for two pounds, but it took me something like an hour and a half because the guy, the guy really wanted a great job, which is perfect. It's what I wanted, great gardens, right? great jobs. And uh, so after that, it was my first sort of foray into entrepreneurship. And I realized that you can't just do a job for, for nothing. You've got to make sure you're, you're giving the value to the customer, but also you are getting paid enough for it. So I quickly learned that I needed to pay, charge a little bit more for my services. My next business was a few years later, uh, I was probably 16 or 17. Um, these businesses, they, they were pretty short-lived. They were very much means to an end. There was no big vision in them. Um, but it was where I was learning entrepreneurship. I was making these mistakes and, and learning from them. My second one was a, a t-shirt business. I think everyone, when they're young, thinks about a t-shirt business. It might blow up and become the next Gymshark or, or whatever. Um, and this business, I got some, some nice t-shirts done, some really cool designs. My brother is really creative. He's so good at drawing and, and he's now an architect. So you can see he literally used his skills to, to really get into a great industry. So I asked him to bring my vision to life on his computer and he'd be able to um, you know, create these amazing designs. At the time, ASOS Marketplace, so ASOS is a humongous 
sort of fast fashion brand in the UK, but it's also global. Um, and they had a, a place called Marketplace, so you could literally upload your products, like Etsy today or you know Shopify, I guess. But they had your clients there because people were looking for this this fashion. And I managed to make, you know, sell a decent amount of T-shirts there, probably fifty T-shirts in a few months. Um, and then I made my mistake. There's always a mistake that I can learn from, and the mistake here was I was talked into providing T-shirts for an event. It was a big rugby event. It was on TV. It was sponsored. It was really, it was a cool event, and they'd had a lot of success the years before. But what was happening is that this event was being over-egged, I guess, you know, over-inflated. And so the year that I went, I was told to print a certain amount of T-shirts, which I did, and the, there was no demand. The demand was so low. Um, so we sold, I don't know, we sold 30, 40 T-shirts there. We ended up buying uh, nightclub entry tickets to add to our t-shirts. So you get a nightclub entry ticket and your t-shirt. And that was our sort of way to sell them because there was just no demand for, for anything at that, at, that, um, at that event. It, was, it had changed very much from the years before. So that was my second sort of mistake or learning point in business early on was don't let someone else do your market research. Don't let someone else tell you where the demand's gonna be and sort of hype up something that you haven't been privy to. So that business was during the end of my, my, um, my school time, I guess. So I was 16, 17, I would have, I would have thought. And at 18, I finished my A-levels. Um, so in the UK, you do your school up to 16. You do two years of, of A-levels. Um, and then you're, you're free to go and, and get a job. And at that time, I was really unsure if I should get a job or go to university. Starting a business still wasn't on the cards for me. I still, even though I had those two forays, I didn't think of it as like a thing that I could do. It wasn't something that my parents or my friends had done or I could see them doing. So it literally wasn't in my mind. So in that, in that time, I decided I wasn't going to go straight to university. I got into university and I decided that I was going to defer for a year. I thought, there's more to this. There's more to learn here. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm going to just think about it. I'm going to, I'm going to do some things. And so in my sort of gap year, it wasn't a normal gap year where you would travel. Um, I worked. I got a full-time job. Um, I worked up until Christmas. So you finished in uh, July, June, July, and I worked full time straight away up until Christmas, and I absolutely hated it. I just thought, you know, this is the worst thing I'd possibly be doing. There must be a different way. Obviously, I had low-level qualifications, so you know there was only a few jobs you could take. Um, so at Christmas, I decided that I was going to quit this job, and I was going to take some experiences, get some certificates. I was really obsessed with certificates at the time. I think again that was sort of the, sort of the employment phase. You know, finishing school, I was like, where's the next, where's the next piece of, um, you know, certificate or paper that says that I'm good kind of come from? I still didn't think of money as my sort of reward. And so I was obsessed with certificates. So I did things like um, project management qualifications. I tried to look at investment qualifications. I did my motorbike license. I started my um, free fall skydive license. Um, so many little things, if I went back and had a look, so many little licenses and certificates. But I was trying to add to myself to make myself worth more. And after you know, a couple of months, I decided, actually, what I need to do is I need to get my job again. I went back to the same place that I hated. I need to, I need to go to university. And I need to up my qualification level. So at that time, you can see what's happening. I, I'd gone into entrepreneurship, made a couple of mistakes. I wasn't sure where I should go. And I thought the best thing to do was just create that value behind me. And I thought, I need someone to teach me. I need to find a mentor. And university at the time was the mentor that I thought I should do. 
uh, or take or listen to. So I went to university. I was 19. I went to University of Winchester. I went to the business school and I studied business management. Um, and there was a, it was good actually, it was really nice. I also managed to study abroad uh, in France and travel between the years. So we managed to get to a lot of countries. I studied, studied a, a master's degree program uh, for one semester in my second year. Um, but I remember my favorite module at university was in my second year and it was called entrepreneurship, which is funny because you know, it was a, an employee teaching entrepreneurship, which I always thought was a bit strange. But I sat next to a guy and he was a great guy, right? He was my age, but he, he had the entrepreneurial spirit. He was a true entrepreneur. And we had this American professor and she had a property empire, is what she told us. And she really wanted everyone to realize that she was very good and that everyone here, you know, maybe would never make what she made. So she liked to pick on people. And this guy who sat next to me, I knew that he'd started a business in this gap year. I didn't know how, how successful it was. I just knew he'd started a business. And one day this lady, this professor said to him, I think he answered back or I don't know, he was arguing a point. He wasn't doing anything wrong, just she didn't like it. And he said to her, or she said to him, um, you know, so, something, something along the lines of, you may never pay this degree back. Because degrees in England at the time, you know, 9,000 pounds a year plus your loans, it's so expensive. And the return on investment's no longer there. So it is a really difficult decision to make for an 18 year old at least. And my friend said, I've already paid it off. I paid this degree in cash up front. His business, unbeknownst to all of us, was already generating a massive amount of money. The university for him was something to keep him busy. He went on to, a, after university, a brilliant grad scheme because he was like, my business is, I set it up in my, in my gap year and it's running on its own. I don't need to work, but I can't just sit around and, and do nothing. He has other businesses now and he wanted that, that education. And I guess he, he sought the corporate offering as a, as a good education tool. So that entrepreneurship topic for me and learning from him was so interesting. I learned a lot there, not just from the text and things going on, but actually the people around me that were starting businesses and were making money. So me started to sort of open up that, that sort of avenue where entrepreneurship could come from and be successful. So when we'd travel in the summer and we'd save up and we'd go traveling on interrail or train around Europe or, you know, as cheaply as we can around Asia and Japan and South Korea, I started to read the, the books of people who had gone before and really trying to understand what entrepreneurship was and where, where people could find these niches and exploit them and what you needed to be to become an entrepreneur. But I was very careful with these books. I wouldn't read the ones where I didn't believe the person had had a difficult time or solved an amazing problem. I just wanted to listen to the ones that I thought were relatable. You know, there's the ones by Daniel Priestley are incredibly impressive or Tim Ferriss. I really like those ones where they simpl simplify it down. Alex Hormozzi's book now, they simplify things because the billionaires that we used to see, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, you know, these guys, they didn't tell us, they didn't document what was happening. So now to read these guys on their journeys up and, and understand what's going on there, that for me, you know, Alex Hormozzi is too modern now, but those guys at the time was really starting to, get the juices flowing in entrepreneurship. So after my bachelor's degree, I went straight into a master's degree. Um, my thinking there was everyone's got a bachelor's degree now. I knew, I said earlier, the return on investment of degrees is so low. I was like, I need to be the next step up. And I knew that a master's degree was going to be incredibly difficult. I think I'm the first person in my family, second person in my family to go to uni, first to get a master's, I believe be wrong. I get a cousin now saying you're wrong. Um, and I just thought I needed to be a step ahead. 
But I knew that to do a master's degree, I was going to have to fund it. You know, you can get loans for undergrads, um, which I, you, I could help pay off. Master's degree, I didn't want to get a loan. I needed to pay it off. So I took a job. I took my first corporate job, um, and they were super supportive. So this job was a, a large hospitality company. They had over 200 sites, thousands of staff, and I was there as a performance analyst. So we'd look at how each site was working, how they could improve their sales, improve their lead gen, improve their um, retention and conversion, um, and then maybe help with the supply chain a bit. And they helped me have the time off to run my full-time job against my full-time master's. So in a master's degree, obviously, many people will know you drop your hours down. Um, so you go to uni less, but you have to obviously write more and think more and write more essays. So at the, that, that year was incredibly hard for me. I've written many LinkedIn posts and different things about this. This is probably the hardest year in terms of outright work that I've had to do. So I would work from eight till five at a corporate job. I would then drive an hour and a half to uni and sit at uni from, I don't know, half past six, yeah, half past six, seven, seven till half nine, 10, get back at half 11. That was Monday and Tuesday. Then it'd be all day on a, on a Saturday as well. So that was 18 months, I think a year to 18 months. Running that job, I was getting promoted at the same time at work. So I was working harder and harder to try and achieve new targets, meet new people and expand what was going on. Whilst also trying to get this master's degree and then they were putting sort of, the job was putting um, more qualifications on the table for me that I was having to achieve. And the uni was like, you need to get this project management qualification. You need to get this qualification to try and bolster up what you're doing. So I was very much in a whirlwind of qualifications, certifications, qualifications. You need this, you need that. I was so wrapped up in that for that year. And during that year, um, Antonio and I also decided that we, we were going to get the property ladder. So we were 22 or 23. Um, and we had managed to save up just enough to get the base mortgage so we could get a small mortgage um, based on our savings and go and, and buy a house. We thought, again, this is the classic technique, right? So we're being told by our parents and the institutions that you get a job, you get qualified, you get a house, you live in that house, you pay it off, you retire. That was the process. But whilst we're going through this and our entrepreneurial juices are flowing, you know, Antonia's studying a creative job. She's studied uh, interior design or textile design. And she's also understanding that everyone's from her degree is going to get their own jobs. So mine was more, you go into a corporate life. Hers, sorry, not jobs. Mine, you go into corporate life. Her peers very much were going to start their own businesses. They were learning skills to start a business. I was learning skills to run a big business, which is why I always say for me, it's easier to point the finger and to help people with larger businesses than startups, because that's what I've studied, that's what I've been in, that's where my experience is. Um, which is bizarre for someone who's relatively young, right? Because usually you need experience or age or time, but actually experience is exposure to the problems that other people haven't seen. It's not necessarily age or time. Anyway, um, so we got up, we went to get our first house. So we had to get a, a house, we went to Bath again, so a, a, the biggest city near us. Uh, we bought this house. And we moved in. And as soon as we were in that house, I, we started to realize that we, we shouldn't be living in this house. We should, this should be making us money. It's the biggest thing we've ever bought. Why would we live in this house without it making us money? So we had no money because we were obviously paying for my master's, um, got these, these jobs, but they're obviously low paid. You're, you're low on the, on the ladder of corporate life, so they make you work as hard as possible. Um, we bought this, we managed to get this house together, but we had no money left. So we decided to get a lodger. 
So we rented out our spare room. It was a two-bed house. Rented out our spare room to a master's student who was going to the University of Bath. And actually, what was really interesting is that she had her own business alongside what she was studying. She was studying ceramics and pottery and that kind of thing. And she had a business alongside it, and so did her boyfriend. So whenever he would come and visit and they would talk about business, it was sort of instilling again. You can see this trajectory where we're going, wow, okay. So you don't have to go and get in your car and drive to work and sit there all day and be told what to do. You can go to a cafe and you can do your own thing. You're your own boss. And I think that's the first, the first thing that we wanted to become our own boss. That was, that was really powerful for us. So we had, our, um, we had our house. It was paying for itself because of our lodger with a small profit. And with that profit, we decided to renovate it. We had to buy a house that was pretty run down because obviously that's how you get houses. That's the cheapest house. We were pretty young. That's all we could afford. Um, Antonio was an interior designer. My background very much in sort of performance analysis. So spreadsheets, you know, making things work better, finding problems, solving them. So we were like, let's make this house worth more money. That seems like a no-brainer. Um, so Antonio would, would design it and I would put out a sort of a model of, what the, the, what are the houses on the street or in the area worth, the best ones, and what would ours be worth, and what's the profit margin we could make on this? So, you know, if you're going to put a house up by 100 grand, you don't want to spend 100 grand on it because you're going to have no profit. So I was like, how much should we spend to make it the best one on the street, but also leave us with enough to put into another house or do whatever we want to do? And so I was able to work this out through this model that I'd built and this spreadsheet that I had, and I gave Antonia a budget of what she could design and she's incredible at bringing value to places um, which is why one of the businesses that we have now does exactly that and so we made this this change and this lodger was helping us pay for it and we had these corporate jobs as well and we managed to turn this house around and when we decided to sell it it was in a really nice profit it was a fantastic profit especially for 24 year olds you know and that was that was when we were like right there's a way to make money away from from jobs and I think this this journey now I'm talking back to you about it becomes more and more obvious. During that time in that first house, I also changed jobs. So um, my first corporate job, obviously, I was outgrowing it. The business was, was large, um, but it wasn't on the stock exchange. And I really wanted to go to a big company. I don't know, you know, I don't know why. I think, again, the influence from other people, from family members saying, you could probably go to a, a, you know, a FTSE 100 company or a Fortune 500 company and go somewhere you're going to get share options and this and that and Google offices, wow, aren't they amazing? And I was really falling into that trap. So I applied for a lot of jobs, but the one I wanted was the, the UK's largest investment broker. So this is a massive company. This is one of the most highly valued companies in the UK. And they had this scheme where there was 500 applicants, 500 people, and I had to go to day after day of interviews, of tests, of, you know, group work and they'll try and see who's doing what and I managed to get down to the last two so from 500 down to the last two people were flying down from the north of England they were flying over from different countries here and I was driving half an hour down the road to this this headquarters incredible offices you know billion multiple billion pound company huge company and I got down to the last two and I blew it and I and I never this is the best probably one of the best things that have happened to me but I blew that final interview. It wasn't with the CEO. It was with, this, with the COO and the CFO and head of accounting. And what they would do is they'd walk you through this humongous building with thousands of incredibly important people there. And 
they'd walk you through to this glass office they had in the center of this atrium where everyone's working around these um, open offices. Glass office where everyone could see you. No one's looking, but obviously you think they are. I've sat on this table, I've answered all these questions. It's going really nicely, it's broken the ice, I'm not nervous. And the, one of the guys who'd been very quiet, who was sat next to me, who'd been probing actually for a while about my, my um, undergrad thesis, which is about employee retention uh, in low-paid workforces, which I found so interesting. We got really deep into that and they were loving you know, the detail that I got into in the research, primary research. And then he asked about my master's thesis. And I had an absolute mind blank. You know, I could tell him about my master's, everything that I'd done through it, but he wanted to know the master's title thesis and some of the points from the conclusion. And I had had an absolute mind blank. Um, and, and actually the master's thesis now, I, it's, it's so, I know exactly what it is. I could talk to you for days about what I talked about. It was, um, it's effectively about what the impact of the gig economy is on the gross revenue of the hospitality industry. So you can see where my corporate job was coming into it. I was seeing that the you know Airbnb, Uber, Just Eat, they were having a massive effect on our sales. But I couldn't remember it. And so as I was walking out, I, I almost knew, you know, and I had that email a few days later with the review or the feedback. And it was so positive. And they were saying, we'd love to have you at some point, but compared to the other guy, but he obviously nailed the interview better than me and he took it. So that was a really good learning for me. And I'm so, I was so proud that I got that far. But it was probably one of the best things that happened because I took my second choice of a job. And the experience that I got there in such a short amount of time at such a young age has set me up for my entrepreneurial journey massively. Um, I went to a company which is the largest um, affiliate marketing and digital publishing company in the world. It's multiple billions as well. But I was able to go in at a slightly better, more, um, more understanding level, I guess. For me, they were able to give me more than I would have had at this other place. Um, and the way that I got into that is an amazing story, and I think I would love to do another podcast episode about this, but they asked me for a covering letter, which I always, I, I don't like covering letters. I don't think, you know, now when I'm talking to people, I don't think it's something that you should, you should ask for. Their covering letter was, this is a FTSE 100 company, FTSE 250 company, company, you know, huge, huge company. They asked me why this was my dream job. Why this job was my dream job. And, you know, I was going into product, product development. And I just thought, it is not. Who, who in school goes product development or, you know, working for this kind of company is my absolute dream. So I didn't. I wrote an essay about why I want to be an astronaut, why I thought astronauts had my dream job, um, but how I thought that the skills translated from what I wanted to be an astronaut to why I could implement the here, them here. And, uh, and that obviously went down really well. And I, I got the job and I sat down with the, um, the chief revenue officer and had an interview and it went really well. And he was all over it because it was so different. Anyway, I got that job and that was, that was fantastic. So I was, I was immediately immersed into running teams, running people, running projects, uh, merger and acquisition, uh, exits, um, you know, working with tech stacks, affiliate marketing, people from all over the world. So we'd work with people in New Zealand and Australia in the morning, and we'd work through the time zones and in the afternoon we'd be working with people in New York and, and LA. And through the day I could work from home. They had, they could have everything you wanted. It was like how you would imagine working for Google. They had everything you could want. And it was a fantastic place. And I also got some incredible qualifications there. Um, alongside, we'd also then moved into our second property and we were developing that on the side. So we very much had a property business going on at the same time as I was climbing up the corporate ladder and having this incredible experiences. 
with people that were so much younger than my first corporate job. They were you know, only a few years older than me running massive budgets. Um, and for me, that was inspiring. I knew that there was something you could do at my age. It wasn't something that I was going to have to wait until I was 50 to achieve. So we had the property development business alongside this. We had um, corporate experience. Antonia had her, she was at an award-winning interior design firm. She was working with massive private clients as well as corporate clients. Um, and we really just were happy at ticking along. We had our, our, you know, our creative brains working away in the time off from work because we were doing our development stuff. We're working at which properties we should buy, which ones we should move on from. Um, and as, as a part of that, we started Studio New. So Studio New started off purely as an interior design firm to help develop property, right? So what we were doing was we were able to use the budget that we'd worked out to create an incredible environment that was changing the value of property. But what we noticed actually was that through the burnout that we had suffered through our jobs and putting all this stress on us at an early age, the environment once it was created would completely relax us. And people, even friends would come over and say, wow, I just could sit here all day and I could see why the value has gone up. And we never had a question from potential buyers. They would come in and go, yes, I'll give you the asking price. Because the, the, the zones we were able to select and create were so obviously beautiful and, and had such an impact on, on well-being. And so Studio New then went out and was able to do that for other people, for companies, for um, private clients. Around the world, we had virtual design as well. Um, and so we had all these things going on. We had, the, <laughs> we had Studio New, property development. We had our two corporate jobs. Um, and then we had a life-changing event. So this is in 2022. We were going across from our, our place a few miles down the road. I was going to sign some papers to become a trustee of a charity. And we were in a car crash. Uh, someone came around the corner, this blind corner, uh, in a, I think a 41-hour road. Yeah, 41-hour road. We were doing less than 40s. We just pulled out of a junction. And they came around the corner on the wrong side of the road and hit us head on. And so we flipped upside down. We're in a ditch. Um, Antonia's, you know, bleeding upside down. Cars filling with smoke. We're in a ditch and the doors wouldn't open because the ditch sort of was in a V-shape around the car. But I managed to kick one of the back doors open and drag Antonia out up over this, this six-foot fence. And there was no real damage to us. The real damage was, you know, Antonia had a lot of blood all over her. We were bruised and... You know, we had a few issues, we had to go to the doctors and stuff, but the main long-lasting effect was with our mental well-being. So this, this, this scarcity effect of, wow, you know, that was so close. The, you know, the paramedics and the fire crews to come and cut out the car and the police, they couldn't believe that we'd, we'd walked through that, we were alive. We'd walked past the other person in the other car who was fine. And they were saying, who was in the car that went upside down? And I said, it was me. And they were all shocked that we were alive from that. And it's one of those things that, you know, you can get emotional talking about because it was so close. If we'd been going slightly faster or he'd come around the corner slightly later, we'd have hit a tree and all their fence or a pole. And so it was a tremendously eye-opening experience for both of us. And actually, we went back to our house after that to go and get some clothes because we were all covered in blood and we were going to go stay, you know, with family because it would be so shaken. And our dog was there. He was supposed to be in the car, but we'd left him behind. Our laptops were open. We still had, you know, the radio on. It was like a time warp. It was, literally, we had left that house. And if we had died, someone would have come and discovered that house exactly how we left it. Really eye-opening for us. An incredibly powerful, um, sort of mind-changing event. So, 
Three months later, we moved to Dubai. In the two weeks off after the, after the accident, we were like, we, you know, we couldn't sleep. We were having a lot of help in, the, in those two weeks off. We literally did, had a sort of an epiphany that we need to do something different. You know, we had all this experience, all this journey. You know, we'd done, we had done so much at such, such a young age, seen so much that we wanted to go and do something else, have an adventure. And so we took Studio New. We, we had the property company. We had a few projects ongoing, but we, just, we let them finish on their own. Had people help manage it for us. We moved to Dubai. In Dubai, we launched Studio New very much as a consulting company for um, indoor environments. So the company now, um, if you're interested or if you haven't heard about it before, is able to answer your indoor questions. So we're science-backed. We have psychologists. We have you know coaches. We have partnerships with um, with universities, and obviously we do our own research as well to make sure this all is science-based. We can answer your questions like, how can I sleep better? How can I make my team be more productive? Um, you know, how can I make my customers buy more when they're in my shop or my cafe? And we can come in and we don't necessarily need to design it for you. We can design a package or a design or both, or even just the consulting. And we can answer all of those questions with these blueprints that we have. And that's where we've gone from in, in, in Dubai. Um, I've also been able to do a lot of consulting. So obviously through the, the experience that I had in these corporate companies, as well as property development, we can go through things like um, growth strategies, people management, a lot of investment and exit strategy actually is a massively important thing because we have um, masterminds and groups and, and different things we can do with people to say, this is how you increase the value of a business before you sell it. This is how you take on investment. This is how you prepare for investment. This is how you grow your business from here to here. Or, you know, indeed, how can you, um, how can you change your business strategy to make you go from X amount to X amount? How can you even globally expand? We've got all of this information from this incredible experience that we've come, come up with. Um, through this you know, corporate experience, but also our own businesses. And so that leads me to 2023, when we started um, the Healthy Entrepreneur Club and the Healthy Entrepreneur Club podcast that you're listening to now. And over this time, you can hear our journey from, you can almost hear our thought process as we're going through a life-changing event, made us understand that entrepreneurship for us is the way to go. There's so much more leeway for us to expand our own knowledge and to create and solve problems. But at our time over the last 18 months working with hundreds of entrepreneurs, being around entrepreneurs rather than employees, we've really come across this problem, you know, that entrepreneurs are not being looked after. They are burning out at a humongous rate. So 95% of startups fail in the first year, 60% of that is because of burnout. That 5% that does get past the first year, 80% of those will fail in the next five years. Again, a high percentage due to burnout. And that's not even talking about loneliness. It is incredibly lonely as an entrepreneur. Um, and you know, you'll see one of the events that we've put on recently. As soon as entrepreneurs come together, especially in an environment like ours, where we say, you know, yeah, maybe it's slightly more expensive than other places, but we've vetted the entrepreneurs to come in. They are incredible entrepreneurs. They're not going to pitch you anything. It's a no pitch zone. There's no business cards. It's let's come in and let's discuss our business, our innovations, what we're doing, how we've done that, how we've partnered together, whilst also talking about well-being and health and how, you know, people in our circle have actually, they've worked less, spent more time with their family 
and they've said they've doubled their revenue in the last year. You know, it's incredibly powerful. And for us, that is our true mission. My passion is people. I say it everywhere I go. My passion is people because I don't want anyone to have to ask, what if? I think if you look back at my career, I quite often say to myself, what if? What if earlier on someone had pushed me to be an entrepreneur earlier? What if someone had made me train harder when I was playing rugby at school or university? What could I have done there? You know, what if I would have traveled to more countries and understood more cultures? I don't want people to have those, those what ifs. So we will bring people together and we will put these packages, these blueprints and these events in place so you can come together in a place that you are going to be inspired. You will see business growth and you will see health implications completely go away. You know, you look at the people that are doing super well in this world. You know, Bill Gates has done an interview recently where he said he wished that he had looked after himself more when he was younger. And we see it every, every day when we look at what we're talking about with our, with our clients and customers. We have even built out these, this graph, which is why I look to my, to my left, for those of you who are listening, I'm looking around and see where my laptop is, because I built this graph out of how much money someone is making as a startup, then in an initial growth phase, in the growth phase, and in the exit phase. And obviously, as you change through, time, health, and money fluctuate between those phases. And in the two middle phases, where you've got initial success and growth before um, exit and after startup, your health is at your all-time low because you've got less time, your health is obviously detrimental to that, and you've actually got lower money. Although you, but your business is making more money, you've probably got less money because you're investing it. And depending on how long that time is, from initial success to the end of the growth phase when you're looking at exit, that implication on your health is something that you can't get back. And that's what Bill Gates is talking about. He's, he's literally saying, if I'd looked after myself when the business was growing, I wouldn't have these health implications now. I would have more friends. I'd be able to do more with my life now. And that's where the Healthy Entrepreneur Club comes in. There is absolutely a way to look after your health. You know, Antonio and I have done CrossFit for four or five years now. Before that, we did gym. But for us, it was, it was just about being accountable to our, our health, looking after ourselves every day because health is directly related to wealth. You know, if you look after yourself, you look after your mind in particular, your business will grow and you'll, you'll be around people that are doing the same thing. Exactly like the Health Entrepreneur Club. People are there because they are looking after themselves. Their business then has the benefits and then they have the benefits of working with all of you guys. So that is a bit of an overview of where we have come from, from the start to the finish. I'm sure I've missed out a load of stuff in there, but I just thought I'd give you an overview of our journey. You know, we have to do another one of these with Antonia and, and you know, explain her journey. Um, but for me, I just wanted to let you guys know um, where we've come from, what we're doing, and why this is so important to us and how it's impacted our lives, how health has been the fundamental changing point from you know, the corporate life of just burning out and trying to start a business to where we are today in Dubai, you know, doing what we're doing. Health along the way has been that steady, accountable um, partner to us. And I think people that aren't looking after their health, you can tell in their business because it's not the same sort of business as one that has got exponential growth. So, you know, that is, that's our sort of sofa session uh, for today. So thank you for listening and I hope to see you again soon.